0: When you speak about urban planning, it's not something that normally gets people going. Things like the war on the car will upset people when the population feels like they're being told you can't live the way you want to live seems to take hold. Well, that will get people worked up right now. The latest iteration of this uh, idea of war on the car or urban planners deciding that they're going to socially engineer how we live is something called the 15 minute city. Mention these three words these days, and you're sure to get an earful either about how this concept is the savior of our urban future or a global conspiracy to manipulate us. Like many things, the truth is likely somewhere in between. Hi, I'm Brian Lilly, your host for the Full Comment podcast. It's not often, as I said, that urban planning gets people worked up. It's something I say as a Journalist who's covered politics across Canada for more than 20 years. I've covered City Hall for various stints in Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto, three of our biggest cities in the country. I've covered provincial legislatures across the country to varying degrees and spent more than a decade on Parliament Hill. Yet this issue right now is getting people excited because of that that idea that urban planners will tell us how to live. Well, what are the pros? What are the cons? Is this 15-minute city idea just an extension of the war on cars our next guest will be able to answer some of those questions but before i bring them on i want to remind you please subscribe to the podcast whatever device you're listening on whatever app you can just hit subscribe you can leave a review hit the share button to let your friends know about all of this wendell cox is an urban policy analyst, a visiting fellow at the Heritage Institute among many designations that he holds. He's worked on both coasts of the United States on transit in Los Angeles. He replaced former New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman on on, uh, the Amtrak Reform Council. He lives and breathes urban planning. He's advised around the world and he joins us now from the St. Louis, Missouri area. Mr. Cox, thanks for the time.
1: Pleasure to be with you.
0: What is it about urban planning over the last several decades that seems to say, we know better than you. We're going to tell you how to live because as, some, as I said, the general public doesn't always get worked up on this, but, but when they do, they really do. And when I've been covering it as a journalist, it seems to be this, we know better than you what you need. And sure, you may want a house and a
1: yard and a white picket fence, but we know better. Well, you, you, you know, and the fact is, we do know better. People and their households do know better. Um, we have seen urban planners going back to the mid-19th century um, conduct a war on the suburbs. And it, of course, later became a war on the automobile. And, you know, I'm no great lover of the automobile, but you know what the what the automobile does? It makes it possible for somebody in an area of about 2,800 square miles in the Toronto po- Population Center that you know, all the way from, uh, say, Oakville to Ajax to um, to to almost uh, Berry, uh, to to just about live wherever they want and work wherever they happen to be able to get a job that suits them and their employer works very well, and in fact, modern urban areas are far larger than they ever were before the coming of the automobile and could not be this large, that is, in terms of population, if it had not been about the automobile. And I would say that the the point is to look at the the revealed preferences of people and where they live. For example, in the Toronto area, you have seen over the years, the city of Toronto has done well in terms of population growth since the amalgamation, but the old city of Toronto actually uh, had lost some population compared, I think, to the 71 census. Um, and the, the point is that people have been moving to the suburbs. They have moved there to get more space. In the pandemic, they moved there not only to get more space in the yard, but also more space in the house because of all the remote working. And the public has, has, has stated its preference very well. You cannot find anywhere where, where suburban growth is lower than than the core city growth. Uh, and by the way, it's gone even further because, as, as I indicated in a, a recent op-ed published out west, uh, that is in western Canada, um the Toronto area lost three hundred and twenty-five thousand the Toronto metropolitan area lost three hundred and twenty-five thousand net domestic migrants. People moving, more people moving out of the metropolitan area than moving in. In the last five years, and where do they go? They went to places like Kitchener-Waterloo, Peterborough, London, etc., where they can get more space and, and and a yard. And it's expensive, but it's a whole lot less expensive than it's become in the Toronto CMA.
0: As I said, um, we've had this repackaging of all these ideas around urban planning that no, 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 you shouldn't live in Kitchener-Waterloo. You shouldn't live in... Uh, the suburbs of Hamilton and then commute in. You should, you shouldn't be, be living out in, in Langley and going into Vancouver. You should be living downtown. And if you're not living downtown, you should be living the same downtown lifestyle in a condo in the sky, in stacked housing of some sort. You should be using public transit. And the repackaging of it is this 15 minute city concept. Can, can you explain to us the good, the bad, the ugly about what that is?
1: Oh, sure. And let let me suggest that uh, this really uh, helps me to make, I think, a real important point. This is not new. We have seen these people, the the planning community, declare transit to be the superior mode and try to make everybody who drives a car uh, feel guilty. Yet, what have they done? Is, is, is Has transit share increased? No, of course it has not. You go back to 1950, a lot larger percentage of the people were taking transit. Why are they taking cars? Well, let me tell you why. Let me get off for a minute on the issue of access. There's research that basically suggests if you live anywhere, the average resident of the city of Toronto, now I'm not talking now about the metro area, the city of Toronto, the average resident of the city of Toronto can get to four times as many jobs by car as by transit. Now that makes the choice real simple. Why do we use cars? Because our lives are are, are far better, are, are far, far better as a result. And yes, the repackaging in the fifteen minute city is interesting. Everybody, even people who basically say it's a bunch of baloney, as it were, are saying, "Wouldn't it be nice?" And in fact, we have a, a city in the Western world that is sort of a fifteen minute city: Paris. Elaine um, Berthaud, who is uh, is former principal planner. Uh, in the World Bank, it uh, took a look at the city of Paris, which has fewer people, by the way, than the city of Toronto at 2.1 million people and and found, yeah, pretty much you can get to anything you need in the city of Paris, except that the, uh, you, you know, 30 percent of the people who live in the city of Paris. Commute to places outside the city of Paris, and when it when it comes to to commuting and jobs, I mean, why you, you know the, the the gas station may very well be within fifteen minutes of you, but that isn't where you work if it's the only job available. And so the the problem with the fifteen minute city is yes, it makes sense you in our minds, it makes sense in what Berteau Alain Berteau, who I mentioned before, called the ultimate the ultimate uh, utopia in the. Minds of people who think they can figure out how things that c- can work, but they never deliver on the promise. I mean, you think of all the promises that have made by well-meaning, well, well-intentioned people in the Toronto area or the Vancouver area or the Calgary area about improving transit and getting people out of cars. Has it happened? Not anywhere.
0: Yeah. You know, look, I've I grew up in the suburbs, and uh, I. Raised my kids in the suburbs, so we lived in a rural setting for a while. Now I live in the middle of downtown Toronto, and most things that I want or need are within a 15-minute walk at most. i got a subway at uh, steps outside my door, but I also have a car in the underground parking for when I need it, when I want to get out. Uh, To me, it, it shouldn't be either or, and yet I look at the new buildings going up around me, and I saw one the other day. I'm just trying to remember the exact numbers, it was going to be a 79-story building at Yon and Bloor in Toronto, 1118 residences, plus more than 1.1 million square feet of retail and office space. And for all those residences, more than 1,000 residents, million uh, s- square feet of, of retail and office space, just 95 parking spaces for cars. But there would be more than 1,100 bike parking spots. That, that is urban planners trying to say, whether you work here or live here, you cannot have a car because we're going to make it expensive and impossible for that to happen. Even at Young and Bloor, people have cars.
1: Well, yes. And at Young and Bloor, I've, I've talked to people uh, at, at Toronto Metropolitan University who tell me about the long waits trying to transfer from one line to the other after work. Um, the, the basic point is that yes, indeed, you can build those kind of things. Uh, a lot of the same kind of development is happening in uh, in, in Los Angeles, which has, of course, a much uh, a weaker core than 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 Toronto. And as I look at the new buildings being built in Los Angeles, you're seeing at least one car parking space underground for every, for every new uh, uh, condo. The point is, if that can succeed in the market, that's fine. But 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 as long as you're not forced to do it, I applaud any of the that wants to live at Young and Bloor and not have a car. That's just fine. I don't think they're any more virtuous than you or I, but they are, they are clearly uh, appropriate in, in making their choices. But, but then look at how many people can even afford to live in, in that kind of a lifestyle. I mean, the point is to recognize that this 15-minute city can be theoretically achieved in some places without without talking about commuting, by the way. That's a complete loser. Cannot happen. It can be achieved in the very dense core. So if you talk about the old uh, Trinity Spadina electoral district there to the east of the core or to the west of the core, yeah, there where you get population densities of, of 10 or 15,000 people per square kilometer. Absolutely. It works just fine. Especially if you can walk to work. But the fact is, the Toronto CMA is much larger than that. And you cannot make this kind of thing work. In the modern urban area, you know, the, the the core of Toronto is not an economic city. In fact, Ed Glazer at at Harvard, one of the best uh, economy, urban economists around, basically has referred to the fifteen city, minute city uh, as an enclave or a de- as a or a ghetto, and basically said that what we need to do is basically show. And I'm paraphrasing him here, so I may be getting it wrong. We need to show what a dumb idea it is. Because our cities do not look like downtown Toronto. Our cities look like Newmarket or they look like Halton or they look like a lot of other people that maybe a lot of the people downtown have never been to. But that is where most people live. And that's not just Canada. That's Western Europe. Um, You know, that's Japan. Uh, That's all over the world.
0: You know an awful lot about Canada and specifically Toronto for a guy that lives in St. Louis.
1: Well, actually, I'm proud to say that as a kid, I lived in Canada for three years, and I've always had a great affection for the country, but I have done work there, um, and I'm very
0: familiar. And it shows, both in your writing and the ease of, of conversation here. But you mentioned something that I think is key here. You, you you said that people might want to live that lifestyle with no cars in the building and in biking and walking everywhere, and... Uh, Look, sometimes, some weeks I don't take the car out. Sometimes I take it out a lot. It depends on what I'm doing, but that's my choice. And that's the choice of the person that decides they don't want a car. And it feels to me, seems to me, that modern urban planning wants to take away individual choice and say, well, we should all live in these cookie cutter uh, apartments, I mean, 500 square foot, and we'll call it a two-bedroom. And that's, you know, that's the extent of your choice. I, I don't think that's where the public is at.
1: Always. They're not even close to being there. I mean, I cannot believe the failure that must, you know, if, if, if the planners really looked at how their theories have been implemented, they would have to recognize it's all been an object failure. How can it be that 55 percent of the population of the CMA is outside the city of toronto and indeed i saw a picture in one of the papers uh, just a couple of days ago a marvelous aerial view showing uh, what the city looks like with all the single family dwellings in the city covering most of the area and that's fine because toronto is a wonderful place to live but people have got to be allowed to make their choices and you know what They're going to make their choices. And we saw that happen in the pandemic around the world, from London to Toronto to San Francisco and Sydney and Tokyo. We basically saw people say, you know what, I can work from home and you know what, I'm going to move. And so what we have is is substantial exoduses from core cities, even more than has occurred in the last 70 years of, 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 of suburbanization. As people have moved out to do hybrid work, uh, people at Stanford uh, are basically saying that, uh, you, you know, for a lot of people, like if, you, if you're working only one or two days a week, you can easily make a two-hour commute, commute for those few days. So the point is, the people are not in any position, uh, the, the people are not, are not going to have the urban planners dictating their ways of life, and life is going to become even more difficult for the planners in the years to come because of the fact that that all of the advantages that everyone thought were were necessary to, w- w- would force people to live in urban areas or when, in metropolitan areas, you don't have to live there anymore. You can go to the rural areas. And it's happening all over Canada, all over the U.S., Australia, et cetera. So it's a new world.
0: I, uh, I know several people who left the city, were living in the core, pandemic hit, they left the city and they either left completely or they downsized what they had in the city, got something out in a rural area or a small town. And for the couple days a week that they come in, they've got a, a small, either rental or purchased a a small apartment uh, with what they had left over from getting rid of their home. So it, you know, it, it, it's not just anecdotal. Your statistics are showing oh, it.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Well, if for for example, the the whole fifteen minute city idea. I mean, who's getting the credit for it? Um, is a, a gentleman by the name of Carlos Moreno, who is um, a city of Paris. Actually, he's a professor at the Sorbonne, and um, uh, and the, the um, w- what what he's basically saying is that there are going to be great difficulties implementing this thing, um, and. Uh, you know in in paris for example uh i'm trying to remember what it was here you know in paris for example the the city that he works for which has 2.1 million people so it's smaller than toronto the city that he works for and has a population density mind you about 15 times that of toronto Toronto, the core, the city of Toronto has about 50, uh, has about 4,000 people per square kilometer. Paris has 60,000. That makes it a whole lot easier to do the, the, the 15 minute city. But one has to step back and wait and ask, well, now what is Paris? Paris is an urban agglomeration of 11 million people. Only 2 million of those people live within the Boulevard Peripherique. And the rest of the place, there isn't any hope whatsoever of getting anything like the 15 minute city for anything. And that's how most of the world is. And you know, most people, as we can see from 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 their choices, will pr- would prefer to live in a place with some room, with 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 uh, uh, yards and so on. And you, and you know what? The transportation is such that, um, uh, y- you know, uh, you can live an awful lot of these places with a 30 minute commute. Um, and that's sort of the world standard 30 minutes. And we do very well on that in the United States. Canada does comparatively well but generally not as well because of your population densities being higher in the urban areas and the uh, generally the freeways being less numerous especially for example in the vancouver area
0: yeah or uh, issues like not having proper rain roads or different things that the americans oh, yeah. have embraced uh, yeah um wendell we've got to take a, a quick break but when i come back i want to ask you about two other things on the the urban planning front um One that I know quite a bit about, green belts, and I think they're a failure. The other one is congestion taxes, which is constantly raised. And I know you've studied that. So uh, urban planners love these things. Are they the right answers? We'll talk to Wendell Cox about that when we come back. Green belts is a, a major political topic here in Ontario right now. I've lived for years in Ottawa where we had one and it is sacrosanct. You can't touch it. People truly believe that it saved the city, that it stopped suburban sprawl. And yet most people in the Ottawa area live outside the green belt and drive into the green belt. When they're going to work, they drive across it to afford a home. They drive across it to go to work. It, it is the same thing in Toronto. It is the same thing everywhere that it's tried, but yet these ideas keep being proposed. So Wendell Cox, what's your view of of green belts? My personal experience is they lead to more suburban sprawl. They don't stop it. Uh, they just make you drive farther for it. But are, are there studies on it from people that are, haven't just drunk the Kool-Aid?
1: Well, I do I do a report every year now in the 19 18th annual version um uh, the demographia international housing affordability survey. Um it, it, the the biggest problem that I see with with green belts is that the the limitation on the amount of land that can be developed. And I'm not talking about you know, developing land like Atlanta, where the suburban lot sizes are way too large. You, you take. I saw a recent picture, uh, an aerial picture of Markham, where the house roofs almost touch one another. You're, you, they're building them on such small um, uh, lots in in the suburbs there. Uh, but but the point is, what we have seen happen in Toronto, and this is the Toronto CMA since two thousand five, which was our first edition. Was that the, av- the median house price, resale house price, and this includes apartments and everything, uh, you know, any, any owned, owned housing went from 3.9 times the median incomes, median household incomes to 9.5 times. Now you want to know why we've got a cost of living crisis? You look at Vancouver, it's 12 times. You look at Dallas, Texas, it's four times. Now the basic point is as any it, it's sort of like what happens when the oil producing nations of the world decide that they're going to cut supply. All of a sudden, our prices go back by, uh, go up. Well, when urban planners and the people that follow them in the decision making uh, community uh, uh, organizations, like in this case, the province of Ontario, uh, when they decide to ration land for urban development that's closely that's well located for jobs in the Toronto area, it is going to force prices up. And by the way, no one should ever think that downtown Toronto has most of the employment. In in the Toronto area, the Toronto CMA has got about 500,000 people working downtown and you've got about three and a half million people working in the rest in in the CMA in total. The basic issue is it is destroyed housing affordability just about wherever it has been tried, whether we talk about London, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Denver, Portland, where it has been done. Um, it has been associated with huge increases in house prices and where it has not been done, we have never seen in a major metropolitan area in the eight countries that we cover, we have never seen a major metropolitan area in which the multiple of the house uh, of the income has exceeded five. It should be three and used to be just about everywhere.
0: That's what I remember uh, growing up, being told, well, you should look for an income that, uh, so three times your income, you can buy a home. And uh, right now, that makes, uh, whether it's Vancouver or Toronto, increasingly other centers uh, around the country, it is becoming increasingly difficult to do that. So we've got a a provincial government here that says they're going to open up, I think it's about 7,500 acres of green protected green space. They're going to add in another 9,500 acres elsewhere and make it protected green space, part of the green belt. But it's this is not land that you would build a home on. The environmentalists say, that's not good enough. You, you're just protecting land we wouldn't build on. We want you to protect land that you would build on. Well, one makes sense to build on because it's close to the urban or suburban areas, and one doesn't.
1: Well, you know, this is this is a real problem, a a real contradiction in policy. You don't have to read the papers very often to find out that you have a problem of uh, a, a very big affordable housing problem. Um, there are and I don't have uh, the list, but there are there are cities in the in in Ontario where the waiting list for subsidized housing is 10 years. OK, now, why is subsidized housing so oversubscribed, as it were? Well, part of it is because you qualify for subsidized housing by not being able to afford market rate housing. Now, if the median multiple, that's the multiple of the house price over, the, uh, over the, uh, the, the income, if it were still in the range of three, you'd have a lot less call for affordable housing. And so when I hear all of the incredible opposition to uh, the Ford government's proposal uh, to, to loosen up the green belt a bit, a bit and try to improve affordability, it, it strikes me that the very same people, who raise the loudest uh, uh, cries about the lack of affordable housing, don't realize that it is the only way you're ever going to solve the problem. And everything leads me to believe that you can expect that house prices are going to continue to rise. I realize they're down now because of the the pandemic uh, uh, demand shock. But and, the, the, and
0: and the increasing interest rates.
1: Uh, oh yeah, yeah, of course, uh, of course. So so again, um, uh, green belts. I mean, we have not uh, 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 the the impact of green belts is to raise housing prices and reduce the standard of living, and it is going to make a much poorer standard of living in the long run for people in Toronto and Vancouver and San Francisco and Los Angeles, places that have these kinds of policies.
0: My understanding is that there's also been studies in places like Frankfurt, in London, England, in Seoul, that show that the the rationale behind it, the reasons that uh, these green belts were brought in, that the results didn't live up to the, the expectations.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were, you, you go back to the literature at the start of these things, and one of the issues where we, we were going to make these – it was going to improve housing affordability and all of that – It never happened. Uh, And this is this is a problem with utopian ideas. I mean, it's a problem with the 15 minute city. I mean, how in the world are you ever going to make this happen? Uh, There's no way you can afford to make it happen. So, uh, no, it's uh, the these kinds of policies uh, seem to routinely uh, produce only success in the minds of the planners, but never on the ground.
0: Congestion taxes. Um, London, England's had one for, I think, a couple of decades now. Um, It doesn't appear that things have gotten better. Uh, They've been proposed here in Toronto, thankfully rejected by most of the people in charge, but still pushed by some. Um, They are proposed to to varying degrees in in municipalities elsewhere. Uh, You've actually studied uh, this and and looked at their impact. Do they... uh, do they lessen congestion during the day? Is it just a revenue grab? Um, do they just divert traffic elsewhere?
1: Well, I'm not sure how much I've studied it. I certainly have views on it and, and can, can tell you. In, in, it, the, the, these kinds of proposals always get get publicity that is far beyond what their, what their results have been. The London congested taxing system, uh, it begins in the west at Hyde Park now you can just on a good day you can walk it's about 3 miles from the core the london uh city of london covers about 700 square miles i'm not sure how big the congestion pricing uh zone is but it is very small similarly in stockholm uh the congestion uh, uh i think the congestion pricing is limited to the uh, stockholm island which is the core of the city um it, it may very well uh reduce traffic congestion though it, as i think Uh, but there's a bigger issue here. Um, You know, again, you hear, in addition to hearing about affordable housing uh, in Toronto and Vancouver and everybody where else in the world, you're going to hear about inequality. And isn't it funny how no matter what happens, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, especially with respect to government policies. And all of a sudden now we're going to basically tell poor people that they're going to have to uh, pay a congestion tax to drive on the freeways well i'll tell you what i think will happen anytime wh- whenever you get an entire urban area that has decided an entire metropolitan area let's say that's decided you're going to go with a congestion tax then you wait to see the growth in kitchener waterloo and peterborough and belleville
0: yeah i i, I would imagine because people will say I'm, I'm not doing it the other day i had to drive out to um uh Toronto suburbs to drop something off. And it was right on the border of Northern border of Mississauga, where it meets Brampton. And this is kind of the, um, logistic central for the greater Toronto area. This is where goods come in and goods go out. And in the way that many people who live this downtown urban lifestyle that I do, (laughs) I'm, I'm now one of these downtown urban elitists, um, An awful lot of people have everything delivered. They order off Amazon, they order online. It goes through these suburban centers where people drive to work, where people drive for work, Uh, bringing in congestion taxes, shutting down the roads um, with, you know, excessive bike lanes. Uh, How are your goods getting into the city at the end of the day? Whether it's to, you know, uh, stock a, a store or resupply a restaurant or the goods that you've ordered online, how are they getting in at the end of the day if you're just constantly shutting down traffic?
1: Well, yeah, I mean the 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 big problem here is a failure to understand how important mobility and access are in the economic life of the city. There's good there's good uh, research that basically suggests that the the GDP or economic uh, uh, production of a city, and when I talk about a city here, I'm talking about the metropolitan area, increases to the extent that commute times are reduced, that you need these kinds of things. And, and unfortunately, um, you, you know, the, the, the whole idea of, uh, of thinking that everywhere can work like downtown is is not going to work. And by the way, the the Mississauga Brampton area is a good a good example also because a few years ago, and they may have taken this down off the internet because of the publicity I made about it uh, in a in a, a paper for, for for the Frontier Policy Institute uh, Institute of uh, Poli- Public Policy in Winnipeg. Uh, that area has more jobs, or at least ten years ago had more jobs than downtown Toronto. Now, granted, it's a whole lot more spread out, but the but but that logistics area around the airport had more jobs than downtown to, Toronto and was at that time claiming to be the largest commercial center in Canada, which it was and probably still is. Well, it was
0: vital during the pandemic. Um, th- those were the essential workers that, that kept going when other people were told to stay home. Uh, yep. Where I- is the line on when investing in transit makes sense and when it doesn't. Because you, you said that you know that transit works sometimes, transit doesn't work in other situations. I've used transit my whole life, but had a car and, and a license since I was 16. Um, I have a bike that I don't ride as much as I should. I, I walk. I use every mode of tra- uh, transportation that there is. But I've also lived in areas where they decide we're going to spend billions on transit. And you look around and you say, why do you need a light rail here? Uh, City of Hamilton put in a light rail system that will cost $5 billion at least. It's going to go over, I'm sure. And, it, you know, that's my hometown. I know it well. I don't think that it needs that sort of transit. I think it could use a better bus system and improve roads, but I don't know that that's the right investment. Is there a population or density? tipping point for transit because every single um, uh, municipal council is on the bandwagon of, we need an LRT.
1: Yeah, well... The, 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 the thing about it is, no, there's not a population threshold, but there is a downtown threshold. Take a look at the route maps of transit systems around the world, essentially, and you're going to find they generally tend to focus on downtown. And the reason, for example, that they focus in downtown in, in Toronto or in Montreal or in Vancouver is that is the place where the Employment density is the highest. I mean, downtown Toronto is like 500,000 uh, employees. as I recall, downtown Toronto is maybe 350 and downtown um, Vancouver maybe maybe 200,000. That is where transit works. In again, you think, and I can't remember what the exact figure is in Toronto, but I, as I recall, 60 or 70 percent of the people who work, in downtown um, uh, Toronto get there by transit. That's pretty good. And we can argue about how much the subsidies would be, but that is the only place transit can serve effectively. Now, the other major point that you want, the other major uh, use of transit is providing mobility to uh, people that that uh, have low incomes. And this would be for other trips uh, as well as commuting. Uh, but, for example, in the United States, and I've never looked at the issue in Canada, but in, in the United States, people in poverty who are working tend to use their cars almost as much as the general public uh, public. Um, transit is not that big a deal. It's important, but it's not that big a deal. But the key is a strong downtown area. So if you go to places you know, like Phoenix, for example, where they don't even have a downtown, with all due respect, and the money they've put into that, it's never going to make a, a difference in Phoenix. It's never going to make a difference in Seattle or Portland, even with their strong downtowns. The key, though, one must think about the fact that transit is about downtown, and that's the end of it.
0: You can, yeah, as I, you said, you know, look after low-income people, young people that can't drive, students, what have you. But to to have a a big investment, you're saying it's got to be a, a a dense downtown core.
1: Yeah, and let me—I forgot to say just one thing. You think about the MetroLink system. Uh, you realize that something, and this this is old data, maybe five years old, so it may not be completely right. But the last time I looked the number of trips that go through union station that is either get on or get off at union station which is of course downtown 95 percent of the travel and let's face it i mean metrolink goes far out far much further out than the ttc or the subway or anything like that that really makes the case very well
0: and and so but that is effectively bringing people in um and, and at that point uh when you're talking about so many people coming into a, a concentrated area for a, an employment core, then yeah, it makes sense to say, okay, how do we get people off the car? Because I mean, imagine trying to, um, all those trips, trying to build highways to facilitate it without, yep. um, That's right. uh, Matt, you know, uh, just I- expanding the highways to 24 lanes each way that would be insufferable. Uh, highway congestion and highway traffic at the same time so at that point it makes sense but the war on the car does seem to go everywhere it does seem to to be something that while maybe years ago it was a something that downtown urban planners thought about it seems that it, it it is the predominant view and so maybe 30 years ago you might have a suburban town with an urban planner that thought differently they thought we're building a suburb that's different than than downtown I, it, has it changed within the urban planning set where uh, most people are just in in one mindset and, and trying to push this idea that that keeps being repackaged 15 different ways um is that the dominant view
1: are, 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 are you an odd one out Oh yeah, no question. Uh, but but believe me, I'm I'm by no means unique, and and we're getting a lot more publicity, especially uh, as a result of the pandemic, and it having proven many of the things we've been saying for a long time. Um, but the but the point is, the the planners are, you know, uh, they may be being a little more successful in getting their ideology out, but the people aren't listening. You can't worry. You know, I challenge anybody to show me anywhere where there has been any material change as a result of transit. And the reason for that is we're not building new downtown areas. I mean, you know, all of these downtowns we've got, which have huge transit market shares. You know, this is the six places in the United States and, and certainly the four largest uh, metro- or actually the six largest metropolitan areas because Edmonton and Car- Calgary do pretty well as well. Um, with the exception of Edmonton and Calgary, all the downtown areas in Canada, the big ones, were built before World War II, as was also the case in the United States. Now, granted, these downtown areas have had some growth and all of that, but you can go to most of the metropolitan areas of the United States. We've got 56 with more than a million. So we've got 56 that are almost as large as Calgary and Edmonton. And uh, they may have downtowns and they may very well have some impressive buildings, but in none of these urban areas or metropolitan areas do you find um, that more than about 5 to 7% of people that work in the metropolitan area use transit to get to work. And that's because they can get wherever they're going far faster by car.
0: Yeah, When I'm in Dallas-Fort Worth, it, uh, it's easy to get around by car. Um, well, that's
1: right. In fact, I've often used DFW as an example to compare to to Toronto uh, because the populations are very similar, the metropolitan areas in the both in both places. And you know, every you know, the planners always like to talk about how all these cars make a slow down traffic and everything like that. Well, you know what? The average journey to work time in Dallas Fort Worth is five minutes shorter than in the Toronto CMA. And uh, the fact is, the reason the car is dominant is because it meets the needs of the people um, in in a way that transit can't. And by the way, I, too, was a transit rider for 15 years to downtown Los Angeles and, and enjoyed it a great deal. Um, but at the same time, I was working downtown. I couldn't have gotten there anywhere to anywhere else in the city on transit in a reasonable period of time.
0: And that is often a big part of the problem. Is that, as you say, it serves downtowns because it makes sense. Um, I remember in Ottawa trying to get my uh, uh, my oldest son to Army Cadets, and it was a five minute drive, but it was an hour and a half bus route because of the circuitous route that you had to take in three transfers. Um, yep. it, it wasn't a system designed uh, in a way that made sense for moving people around, except civil servants going down to the Parliament Hill area. That's all it was there for. So, it, you know, it, the, when I was a kid, I, I, I took the bus to Army Cadets because it made sense. It doesn't always make sense. And and I think that that's something that uh, the urban planners, I, I think, have to start understanding. And I think our politicians have to start understanding. Have politicians in much of North America been captured by these ideas or they just glom on to the next one and when 15 minute cities is, is is done it'll be called something else and they'll they'll still jump on it
1: well you know what you, you gotta I, I have a lot of uh, sympathy for for the, these elected officials who the, the problem is there's a very very high price to pay on city councils, and I'm not speaking of any in particular here, um, because quite frankly, the groupthink that takes over the establishment-oriented groupthink that takes over, especially in a lot of a lot of our larger city councils, and so that a councillor that, that 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 sort of sees the problems um, is is liable to be in real trouble with his or her colleagues and um and you've you've hired these experts they claim to be the best uh they're they're uh they they have the premature um of of the educational uh credentials uh, on urban planning and so on and so they're thought of as experts well the fact is that uh there are, there are a number of us out there including me who have been working for quite a long time to basically point out the contradictions here that show that 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 what they are proposing is not feasible it's utopian um and and cannot occur,
0: so let me ask you, Wendell, as we we wrap up here then. Uh, what is the future uh, in terms of how people want to live? you've this is what you spend your day looking at. We've had this adjustment during the pandemic. Does that become a new normal? Are we going to go through another shift as people perhaps start going back into you know, offices and, and downtown employment nodes? Uh, or, or, or is this shift permanent? Are we going to keep seeing a migration outward?
1: Well, my sense is it's at least partially um, uh, permanent. Um, in, I haven't looked at the Canada uh, statistics from the 21 census on journey to work in the metro areas, but in the United States, we saw um, a, an, an increase uh, of four times in remote work, working at home, uh between 2010 and 2020 it, this is happening around the world the world has changed artificial it, intelligence
0: hold on you said 2010 to 2020 right that's that's well before the pandemic this well, was no, it,
1: um i guess it would so take actually, up we beginning. actually have um we actually have 2021 data we have an annual survey that's okay. run by the federal government sorry about that um but but yeah uh This this is a I think it is a permanent change. It doesn't mean downtowns are finished or anything, but it's really interesting. I mean, I'm always seeing articles in various publications uh, about how all of a sudden, well, we're going to bring the people back downtown. And then when you read the fine print, you hear that the employers are being asked to come in three days. Well, listen, downtown Toronto that operates essentially Tuesday through Thursday does not need the same level of transit five days a week Mm -hmm. uh, that it did before. And, and so the world has, has changed. I think the move to sort of the, the more electronic office was way overdue. The technical, technology has been there for a long time. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, we're, I really don't think building office buildings is a real good investment. And that's not investment advice at this point.
0: <laughs> All right, Wendell Cox, thanks so much for your time. It's been a, a fun and an enlightening conversation. Thank you. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Levin is the executive producer. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen through your app, you know, Alexa-enabled devices, and you can help us out by giving us a rating or leaving a review. And make sure you tell your friends about us. Until next time, thanks for listening.